Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kiley. This is Before the Box Score. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. When you are listening to us, it will be Thanksgiving Day. Hopefully you are safe on the road, safe on the travel. Hopefully the family's not too annoying. But uh, BK are, are providing a show for you if you are still in transit or you know in the kitchen cooking. Uh, a little something to talk about Mizzou football on uh, the greatest of days to give thanks. BK, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, Nate. I hope all of you out there are doing incredibly well right now. I hope you're enjoying your Thanksgiving with your family, or if you're solo this year, I hope you, this is uh, making your Thanksgiving day just a little bit better. We can't thank you all enough for listening to us mm-hmm. throughout the year, and especially today. It's been uh, an up and down season, to say the least, for the Tigers, <laughs> and we appreciate you sticking with us through it all. Absolutely. We do it because we love you all. And uh, we hope that uh, you keep staying with us. We appreciate all the downloads and the subscriptions and, of course, all the feedback that you give us. We love it. Um, So, yeah, let's get into the show. Uh, As we usually do, we like to revisit the game that already happened. And in this case, it's Florida. We talked about Dan Mullen getting fired. We don't really need to visit that again. But something I did want to visit again was the quarterback situation, because we talked about it on uh, Sunday night the the monday show and i mentioned well we both mentioned that just the quarterback play was not was not there um it was other than the fourth quarter it was seemingly holding back this offense against a team that that looked pretty pretty interested to, to quit and was giving plenty of opportunities to do so um so for beyond the box score i did what i usually do all the advanced stats go through the keys of the game but my extra points i focused mostly just on connor Bazelak. And I put out his passing chart so you can go on to Rockham Nation. You can take a look at it. Um, he had he had a success rate of 30.8%, which is the lowest of the year. Uh, he had a stretch. <laughs> it's God. Let me just let me just rattle off what I found here. So Tyler Beatty represented 28% of the passing targets. He was 20% of the catches, and he netted negative two receiving yards. Uh Basilek's first nine passes amounted to six completions for five total yards, and that is with a 22-yard completion to Kiki Chisholm. It was a remarkable start to the game. It really was. Uh, in the first half, so the first 30 minutes, first and second quarter, Bazelag threw 17 passes. Three were successful plays. Three of 17. And then in the third quarter, he dropped back to pass six times, completed none of them, and was sacked once. So heading into the fourth quarter, Connor Bazelak was 11 for 19 for 95 yards and a 15.7% success rate. Now, the fourth quarter did happen, and he tore it up in the fourth, but this is, this is what we're talking about. If you are struggling throwing the ball, which Missouri absolutely was, it is helpful for your quarterback to move a little bit. Get out there, and okay, you know maybe they're clogging up all the passing lanes with a you know, drop-eight zone. Uh, I want to run and, and get three yards. Three yards. It's not even a successful play, but it's something. And Basilak's unable to do that because of that wrap on his leg. So what you find out is that basically if he drops back to pass, well, he's got to throw it. He has to, or he's going to get sacked. And it just makes the passing game very tough to find success with because you can blitz and know that he's not going to move. And you can kind of have complicated you know, pass coverage and know that it's going to be probably going to be enough to keep those receivers occupied. So it's not a good idea to pass, and yet, BK, you have to pass because you have to be balanced to have any kind of successful offense. Yeah, and in 2021, we know that the best way to have a successful offense is by passing the football. And so, of course, they're going to be passing quite a bit. 
that's what my frustration was on Saturday is, yes, they won the football game, but they did so for large part in spite of their quarterback as opposed to because of their quarterback. And I understand in the fourth quarter, he ended up having some successful plays, but let's also remember it was really one big play that he had. It was the completion to Nico Hay that went for 40 plus yards. And then in overtime, hey, I'm not taking it away from him. The guy had an outstanding play finding a way to get the ball to Daniel Parker Jr. and winning the football game. Good play. Kudos to him. I'm not trying to take any of that away. But you need more. And what I think back to, Nate, is the week prior against um, South Carolina when you had Brady Cook come into the game. And it was, I think, second and 13, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken. And he's able to scramble for 11 yards to set up a third and manageable. And that allowed you to be able to win the game. Like that, that's the kind of thing that when you have somebody who is capable of scrambling, they can come into the game and make those types of plays. If Basilek was in for that play, he probably either throws it away or it's incomplete into the ground, something like that. And you've got a third and 13 and the clock is stopped. And that can get pretty ugly pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. Like, And that's just one play. It is one moment. It is anecdotal. Absolutely no doubt about it. But those are the kinds of things that you're limited from doing or even having the ability to consider when you have a quarterback who is as immobile as Connor Bazelak has been. And I know people have heard this before now at this point, but it, it it's just the truth. Like you, yeah. you put it out numerically and what it looked like. I give you anecdotal evidence of what it can be if you have the alternative. Uh, but for better or worse, I mean, they're clearly sticking with Connor Bazelak right, wrong or indifferent against Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And, and Hyron white, you know, our starting uh, right tackle, he, he's had a great season. He's also injured. He probably mm-hmm. won't play against Arkansas and he didn't play against Florida or, or South Carolina. So you've got, you know, Connor Wood, who's who's a great offensive lineman, but he is playing tackle, and you got some kind of rotation of EJ and Doma Ogar and and Luke Griffin, depending on the game, and Xavier Delgado, and and this is this is not a knock on them. They're just you know, there is a noticeable drop off when you don't have Hiron White as your tackle. Just end of story, and and so you have an offensive line who who can you know hasn't played together all season and can give up some sacks if they miss an assignment or, or kind of whiff on a block. And if you've got a quarterback who can't move that that's game over, that's game over. And, and, and oh, Florida did it very successfully. They got some awesome athletes on the line and they, they feasted. And guess what? Arkansas has got some excellent defensive linemen too, including Trey Williams, the former Missouri tiger. Like this if you if your quarterback can't move, you know it used to be you would you would do rollouts, right? You you kind of zone block to right or left and have your quarterback start on the move as he throws it, just to kind of negate some of that that pass rush. Uh, recently, you you add in RPOs or zone reads and kind of build off of that, which we still have not seen play action passes off of that. Any but that's not really here or there. Um, but you just don't have that option when your quarterback can't move because it's not a threat. So it's. It's limiting. And because it's limiting, it's frustrating that, you know, this offense probably could be a little bit better. I understand that Brady Cook probably doesn't have the knowledge that Basilek has or the mastery of the playbook. But, you know, just from a raw athleticism point, that would be an upgrade. And and sometimes I wonder if it just that would be worth the trade off, you know? I I think it would be, but <laughs> I I have felt that way for what, five weeks now? Six weeks? Oh, yeah. 
Um, and so I, I guess I'm we're, we're both kind of preaching to the choir right now in terms of what it means to have a running game from your quarterback. I mean, we're going to see it this weekend. Like, yeah. You'll see it on the other side. They have a quarterback who can be a part of the running game and it helps them. Uh, Florida had a quarterback who at least has the ability to do so. It, it helps them. Mm-hmm. Vanderbilt's did. Did you guys see how they scored their <laughs> points? It, yeah. it was pretty helpful to be able to have a quarterback that was involved in the running game. It's it's important. It's impactful. You look at the NFL. Most of the guys that are the best quarterbacks in the league right now are guys that at least have the ability to scramble. Hell, even Tom Brady's out here running for 11 yards yeah, now him, yeah. uh, in a primetime matchup. So if you can't do that, it just limits so much what you're able to do offensively. There are just so few Eli and Peyton Mannings in the league now. Mm-hmm. Um, I and it's it's the same thing in college, but even to a greater degree, because there are more opportunities for your quarterback to get involved in the running game. So I hope they're able to do that next year. I have very little belief that there's any chance of them implementing that into the game plan against Arkansas on Friday, though. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, well, like I said in the piece, just get used to the fact that Bazelak's going to start against Arkansas. He's going to start mm-hmm. against whoever we play in the bowl game. And there's nothing we can do about it. And we'll have an open quarterback competition in the spring, or we should, certainly in the fall. Um, and you hope either A, Basilak can <laughs> regains the ability to to run, or a guy who can overtakes him. And and we'll we'll figure that out later on. But uh for the next two games, it's gonna be kind of frustrating to watch him throw, uh, because this defense is you just made their job a lot easier by trotting him out there. So um we will see what happens, but uh, we also got some good news. I don't, you know, we're, we're giving thanks. We don't need to harp on Bazelak uh, any more than we need to. So let's talk about some recruiting because uh, we had a great story uh, this week. Brett Norfleet, the local four-star tight end, uh, he committed to Mizzou, and he is the first commitment in the, oh my God, 2023. I've, I've written yeah. it. And I've looked at it. I've not said it out loud. That's very odd. 2023 recruiting class. He is the first one. Uh, he is a four-star tight end. Like I said, he's also apparently a hell of a pitcher. So he is going to play both football and baseball uh, for the Tigers. BK, I don't, I don't know how this works out. I would have to guess that the team with more scholarships probably provides a scholarship, and in this case, that would be football. Um, but certainly, you know, he's gonna, he's gonna play both, which is awesome. And uh, you, you took a look at his video, and uh, you, you shared your thoughts uh, earlier today. And uh, yeah, what, what, tell our listeners, what do you think, man? It turns out the kid that's ranked in the top 50 nationally is quite good at football. Uh, Who could have seen that one coming? The first thing that stands out is just his height. The guy is listed at six foot seven as I don't know what his exact age is, but I mean, he's a high school junior. So I would imagine 16, 17 years old. He's already six, seven. He's also rail thin. He is Mm -hmm. listed at 225 pounds. He's going to grow into his body as he gets older. There's no doubt about that. But The thing that was surprising to me is when you have a top 50 kid that plays the tight end position, I mean, most of the time, I just assume that it's going to look like Sean Culkin when he was coming out where he was listed as a receiver, but everybody knew he was going to play tight end at the next level. You just kind Mm -hmm. of assume, okay, this is just going to be a big receiver, right? Who's just going up and winning over the top and nobody can defend him because he's 6'7". That's really not the way it was with Norfleet. Uh, He's more of a blocker right now than he is a pass catcher. And that surprised me. I I wasn't sure really what to expect. I went into it not really having any preconceived notions of who he was as a player because he's a 2023 kid. I'm still looking at a lot of the 2022 kids. 
he's really good as a blocker. I mean, it's really impressive the way that he it seems like every play. He has an intention of pancaking the guy that's in front of him, (laughs) and that's the mindset I expect out of offensive guards. Sometimes you'll see it out of tackles at the high school level. It's very rare you see that out of tight end. So he's going to come in and he'll be ready to play right away. Like it would not surprise me if as long as he's got the size and strength to do it right away, I think he could basically play the Daniel Parker role the way the, the nice. day that he steps on campus. Nice. That That is the role that I think he will be stepping into. And then it just becomes a question of what's the ceiling for him? How much is he able to add into his pass catching repertoire? How good of a route runner is he? Because you just don't really see a whole lot of that on his film so far, at least based on the whatever five minute highlight video that we're able to watch. Mm -hmm. So I'm super curious to see what the ceiling looks for him. I I think the more interesting conversation than specifically Norfleet, though, might just be what he represents, you know? I mean, this is another in-state Rivals 250 guy that is committed to Mizzou under Eli Drinkwitz. That just really didn't happen under Barry Odom. Uh, there were 28 players, Nate, in the Barry Odom era that were rated in the Rivals 250 that were from the state of Missouri. 28 mm-hmm. players. Jelani Williams was the only one among those 28 <laughs> to commit to Missouri. Oops. Under Eli Drinkwitz... Missouri has five players ranked in the rivals 250 in the 2022 class. And Mm -hmm. now they have another one in next year's class that's already committed to Mizzou. So they had two commits in the 2022 class that were rated in the rivals 250. Now one in the 2023 class. They already have three in two classes under Eli Drinkwitz. They had one the entire tenure under Barry Odom. So this is a trend that is going in the right direction um, he is starting to make headway clearly with some of these in-state kids that are seeing what he's doing at Mizzou and they want to be a part of it. It's a big mm-hmm. thing. You always talk about the blue chip percentage of players that are on your roster that are four or five star recruits. It's starting to go in the right direction. I think it's at like mm-hmm. 15% right now as of the 2023 class. So this is good, man. This is, this is starting to trend in a direction that is very positive for the Tigers. Yeah. It's going to be a very... Missouri tight end flavored room. Um, I mean, Gavin mm-hmm. McKay's from Tennessee, but Nico Hay, Brian Horsecamp, uh, I guess Messiah Swinson's in New York, but like you've got Max Wisner uh, from Missouri and now Brett Norfleet. And uh, Symmetry, by the way, both of those guys were the first players to, re- oh, right. uh, to commit in their respective classes. 2022, Damn. it was, uh, I think it's Wisner. Um, and is then Norfleet, I, I think so. I think it's Wisner. Okay. And then Norfleet this year is the in-state tight end to commit to the Tigers. That's awesome. I am really curious uh, with with how this staff views Norfleet because you know you look at his huddle. Now, granted, he's a junior, so he's got a, he's got a whole other football season to play before he even gets on campus. But like most of his highlights are him just blocking the crap out of some dude into the ground. You got a few where like he catches a ball, like he high points it or like jumps somebody or like, you know, you just be, he's tall. So like, it doesn't seem like we've seen a lot of um, his highlights feature his, his pass catching ability. And just based off of that, I feel like if this was 10, 15 years ago, this would be the perfect candidate for like, let's bulk you up and put you a tackle. 
because you're super athletic. You can move really quickly, like, and you like to block the hell out of people. Like, that's cool. But not not in the modern game. This is the type of tight end you, you need a giant dude, uh, someone to block on the edge, uh, to, to chip in, but then also someone who can kind of pitch in on the passing game. Not like a Chase Kaufman or a Martin Rucker, but just, yeah, like a DPJ, right? Just when you need it, when you need a guy, he's there. Um, so I'm really curious, like, his development and how the staff sees him as a, as a role. But, yeah, just based off of that, I'm like, he's going to get a mean – <laughs> I almost said something I shouldn't. A mean dude in the backfield and uh, just mauling dudes, and I'm I'm always here for that. Do you remember Kendall Blanton? I loved Kendall Blanton. He is souped up Kendall Blanton. That, that that's <laughs> yes. what he is. Kendall Blanton has now carved out a pretty nice career for himself in the NFL. Uh, he's currently playing for the LA Rams. He's been on their team for three years now. And he's just mm-hmm. collecting paychecks by being a blocking tight end. Nothing more, nothing mm-hmm. less, nothing sexy about what he's doing on a day, uh, game-to-game basis. But he's collecting checks because he's 6'6", 260 pounds, knows how to block, <laughs> and does his mm-hmm. job correctly. And that's at the NFL level. Now imagine that at the college level. I, I promise you Eli Drinkwitz will find ways to incorporate a guy like this into the offense. If you think that what he does with Daniel Parker Jr. at the goal line is interesting and fun... Well, now imagine doing that with a guy that is six foot seven. Um, mm-hmm. He's he'll find some spots to be able to get him the ball, especially in the red zone. I don't think he's going to be super involved in the passing game between the 20s, but you don't need him to be as long as you've got guys like Luther Burden that are outside. And if Mookie Cooper True. takes another step forward next year and you've got Dominic Lovett, who adds to his route running ability like okay suddenly you're starting to add some real talent into the passing game and if you've got a guy like sam horn throwing the ball all right let's party i'm ready to go let's mm-hmm. see what this looks like in 2023 i'm sam and uh i like to party um yeah i i think it's great you know it, it just we had a, a renaissance of tight end passing game i feel like late aughts early tens and that's died down a little bit. I'm not saying there aren't dynamic pass catching tight ends. I mean, Kyle Pitts was a top 10, top five draft pick last year. So, like, really, that's not the, the issue. It's just it's not as big of a focus anymore. And um, and that's okay. I mean, you got to do everything. And, you know, so much of the passing game is based around the run game. <clears throat> so, um, you know, just seeing having a blocking tight end is, is incredibly uh, valuable uh, to incorporate into the passing game. So, going from that, happy to a not, not like a sad, but like a what the heck. Can we talk about the Lou Groza Award? Yes, the the award that I no longer talk about, but I will right. for you. All right. Well, well, we'll mention it now and never mention it again. So Lou Groza Award uh, is an award given to the nation's best place kicker. And for most of this season, uh, Harrison Mevis, our, our dear, uh, lovely thicker, was on the watch list basically the entire season. And they finally trimmed down their list to three. And uh, he wasn't on it. He wasn't on it. What they got instead was Noah Ruggles from Ohio State, Jake Moody from Michigan, and Gabe Burkick from Oklahoma. Which, okay. Here's, here's what I don't understand. Like, Noah Ruggles is on Ohio State, so he's kicked 11 billion extra points. Okay, fine. He is 12 for 13 on field goals under 40 and four for four over 40. Okay, cool. Congratulations. I hope you don't win because you're stupid. Then you look at Michigan, Jake Moody, 44 for 44 on extra points, 18 for 18 on field goals under 40, four for six, 40 plus yards. 
Okay. And then we get to the weirdest one. Oklahoma. Gabe Burkich. Burkich, Burkich, whatever. Stupid. Gabe, stupid. He has 48 for 48 on extra point attempts. 9 for 11 on field goal attempts under 40 yards. And 8 for 12 on 40 plus yarders. Other than the fact that those three also kick off, what the heck am I missing here, BK? This has to be a points thing, right? People just looked at who has the most points this year, and they were like, oh, the kicker from Oklahoma, he has a lot of points because he's got 48 of them that have taken place on extra points. I I don't get it. I don't understand it. There's no case you can make it for it. Statistically, it does not make sense. Harrison Mevis, in every way, shape, or form, has been a better kicker than these guys. You're absolutely correct correct in... um, stating that Mevis does not handle the kickoffs at Missouri, and these guys do. So maybe that's part of the conversation. I I don't believe that to be the case. I think that it's more about the points. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of this is just Harrison Mevis plays for Mizzou. You know, and I, I'm not the guy that will typically say Missouri is getting underrated. Missouri is getting disrespected. Like, y- you earn your respect. But Harrison Mevis is different. He's earned his respect. And last year, as a freshman, he was one of the best kickers in the country. 100% on extra points, 17 for 20 on field goals. This year, he has backed it up by going 17 for 19 on field goals and 40 for 40 on extra points. He is outstanding. He is perfect. He is our thicker. And he deserved to win the Lou Groves Award this year. So for them to not allow him to be in that conversation for the top three... It's baffling, man. I don't understand it. I will not recognize whoever wins this award this year. My, I <laughs> annually celebrate the Lou Groza Award, and this year I won't do it. Not in this household. Nuh-uh. The only other thing I can think of is that this is some kind of lifetime achievement award because Burkick, Moody, and Ruggles are all seniors, which that's not what the award's for. It's the 2021 Groza, not the Lifetime Achievement Kicker Award. Um. And it's really, it's not even brand name either because like, uh, the kid, uh, from Syracuse Cir- circuit or something like that. Uh, he has, he has another kind of one of those odd Polish Australian, um, last names, but he won it as a freshman. Y-M-T. Zirk. Zirk. Sure. I don't know. Whatever, Whatever his name is. Andre. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, he won it as a freshman. So like it's not it doesn't have to be a lifetime achievement award and it doesn't even have to be from a brand name team. So like I don't get he it. He also kicked sec- 61 extra points as a freshman. I-, I think this is as simple as they just look at the points, man. I-, I think they just look at how many points you've scored in an individual season and that's what they vote off of, which is like the worst possible way to determine this award. But I- I- we're also talking about kicking, so I- maybe maybe that's it. I don't know, man. <sighs> Well, in positive award news, Tyler Beatty is a Doak Walker finalist. Hell yeah, he is. Just throwing that out there. Um, he is. He has certainly earned it. Obviously, we've. If you followed Rocket Nation for any of ten seconds this fall, you understand that we we are big fans of Tyler Beatty because he is our entire offense. Um, but they, they trimmed it down. Uh, it's, it's Tyler Beatty. It's Brees Hall out of Iowa state and it's Kenneth Walker out of Michigan state. By the way, Brees Hall, good player. I like him. I thought he was a legit Heisman candidate coming into the season. Mm-hmm. Not 
totally sure he would have been my choice. I think I would have gone Bijan Robinson over him. But Bijan is hurt, so I don't know if that's going to play a part of it. I know, but he's played in 10 games, and he averaged 142 yards from scrimmage per game, and he plays on a crappy Texas team where he's the only (laughs) guy you have to defend. I I don't know. Like, I have less of an issue with that one. I'm not going to argue for a Texas guy. Like, Bijan Robinson's a stud, and so is Brees Hall. Brees Hall's a very good football player. Um, So it's not a huge omission here, but I would have gone Robinson over Brees Hall. Kenneth Walker and Tyler Beatty to me were the two that had to be on this list. Yeah, I agree. Um, just to keep track, Brees Hall, 235 rushes. Yo, uh, 1,230 yards, 17 touchdowns. That's 5.2 per carry. Um, for Michigan State, I just had it here. Where did it go? Ah, here we go. For Kenneth Walker at Michigan State, 233 rushes, 1,498 yards, 17 touchdowns, 6.4 yards per carry. So if you just go off of raw stats, it'd probably go to Walker. And I think that's fair. But Kenneth Walker is not the entire Spartan offense, and Tyler Beatty is the entire Tiger <laughs> offense. So if you're looking at this from like a most valuable standpoint, dude, you got you got to give it to Beatty. But if you're just looking for the kind of the best, shiniest piece, like probably Walker will get it. It's really close, man. I mean, Kenneth Walker on the season has 1,587 total yards from scrimmage. Uh, Mm -hmm. Beatty this year has 1,720. If you're looking at a yards per touch, Beatty's at 6.1. Walker's at 6.5. If you're looking at touchdowns from scrimmage, Beatty has 17. Walker has 18. I I know this is crazy, and it's the final week of the season. I I think this week might determine it. Like, if Beatty has a huge week against Mm -hmm. Arkansas and they're able to pull off the upset against uh, a legit top 25 opponent this week. I think that could be the type of thing that swings this in the direction of Tyler Beatty. Meanwhile, Mm -hmm. for Michigan state going up against Penn state this weekend in a nationally televised game. If you see Kenneth Walker have a huge game against them, that could swing it in their direct or in his direction. By the way, Penn mm-hmm. State quietly a road favorite in that one going up against Michigan really. State. A wow. one point road favorite. Basically a pick 'em, but found that to be interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I think this could go either way. I think this final week of the year very well could determine the award. And I do think it will and should come down to either Walker or Beatty. Yeah. Penn State's he- rushing defense is pretty good though. Just want to point that out. It's very um, good. So is Arkansas, but um, yeah, we'll see. It could very well be that. And the Michigan State's not going to play for conference championships, so they they are the same kind of situation that Missouri's in. So yeah, this is this is the week to decide it. Am sure. I missing somebody? Is there has there been a Mizzou Doak Walker Award winner? No, not even a finalist. Interesting. Yeah. Good for Beatty, yeah. man. That that's really cool. That 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 is a really cool accomplishment especially Mm -hmm. given what Missouri has offensively this year for him to be able to do that. And maybe that's part of why he was able to accomplish it. Let's be honest is because he's, he's the offense, but Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a, you're putting yourself up. Look at the last like five, some of the, in the last 10 years, guys that have won this include Trent Richardson, Melvin Gordon, Derek Henry, Mm -hmm. Bryce love, Jonathan Taylor did it twice. Najee Harris. I mean, you're looking at the best running backs that we've seen in college football. That's, Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to go down as one of the best guys to do it. That's awesome, man. Good for him. Certainly earned it. So then we get to the, the game at hand. Here we are. You want to talk week. more about Tyler Beatty? <laughs> I would prefer 
but I, I'm I'm out. Uh, he's got a game against Arkansas. We can spin it that way. Yeah. Um, man, it's the Florida win was awesome. The Florida win was earned. It was a great moment for everybody involved. It was a terrible game to watch, but Missouri win, won it in a very dramatic fashion. That's all co- cool and good. Arkansas is a really good team, and they are also very interested in beating Missouri, just flat out. Uh, Missouri has won the last five. I will say that there are better Arkansas teams that have wor- lost to worse Mizzou teams. I understand that, but, man, you got Barry Odom, you got Trey Williams, you got you know, Markel Udsey. You've got uh, an Arkansas team that is deadly on the ground, very efficient. They get three yards pretty much anytime they carry the rock. And they got someone who should have been a Blitnikoff finalist in, in Traylon Burks, uh, who was tearing up in the receiving, uh, catching the ball. So, like, it's, this is going to be a very tough test. It's on the road. It, it's Arkansas is a good program. And I don't think there's any shame in losing to Arkansas. But obviously, you know, given given how this back after the season's gone, I kind of feel like everyone's kind of talking themselves into, oh, we could, we could sneak it out. You know, we could, we could do it. I don't like this game. I don't like it one bit. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. Um, Arkansas is really good. I. So let's start here. What is the case for Mizzou, Nate? Give me optimistic Mizzou fans case. The, the, the tail of the tape. How does Missouri win? Whew. Missouri wins by defensively creating one or two turnovers, which Arkansas does not do a lot of. Playing safe football, and by that I mean does not turn it over because Arkansas feasts on turnovers on, on their defense. And somehow, some way, Tyler Beatty uh, gets 100 yards through on the ground and scores a touchdown because Missouri is undefeated when he gains 100 yards on the ground, and they are unwinfeated when he gets less than 100 yards on the ground. So boil it down, get a couple picks, or recover a couple fumbles, don't turn the ball over. Tyler Beatty has a day. And that's that's what you're hoping for. So I think the thing that is making it difficult for me to believe that Missouri wins this one. And by the way, I do think it's possible they cover. So maybe I'm being a little too pessimistic here because I'm <laughs> on one hand saying that I think it's not crazy to believe that they keep this within two scores, which means by virtue of that, they're at least keeping the game close. Um, mm-hmm. And on the other hand, saying it seems very unlikely to me that they end up winning the football game. In order to do so, I think you need a very good game out of Connor Bazelek. I think it more or less comes down to that guy's got to make like five plays throughout the game where it's like, damn, didn't know he had that in him. Hmm. And for me to say ahead of time that I believe he will do that, I would just not be honest with you or with our audience right now in doing so. So it's yeah. it's hard for me to get there, but I think if you're a Mizzou fan holding out hope on Friday, and by the way, you should watch this. This isn't like the Georgia game. It's not to that degree by any stretch, or even the Texas A&M game. I think Missouri has a better chance than in either of those two. Um, but it just it, I have lost so much faith in the quarterback spot at this point that it's hard for me to believe that they're going to be able to get this one. I agree. Trey Williams is awesome. He's been awesome all year. It's so frustrating. I know. I don't know why he left a Barry Odom offense at Mizzou and went to a Barry Odom offense at Arkansas and got better. I I don't understand that. 
sometimes it just takes some time for a kid to put it together though, you know, and, and he, he's done it. So by the way, he's going to be drafted early next year. Uh, what, how early are you talking about? Uh, he's got a chance to be like a day two guy. So second, third round, maybe. Huh? Well, we don't need those guys on our defense. So I'm glad he left. <laughs> yeah. God. I, just... I don't know. I don't know if it would have happened here, but uh, I'm just, he's, he's put it all together and he's a legit NFL prospect now. It's, it's yeah. wild. Well, good for him. Um, yeah, I just, no, you, Barry Odom is a very good defensive coordinator. It, we can, we can tell that Connor Bays like is incapable of moving. I'm pretty sure Barry Odom can do that too. And I guarantee you, he can come up with some very exotic blitzes. That's going to confuse him. He knows how Bays like plays. He's watched the tape. He coached the guy for a year. He knows what he's dealing with. And if you've taken away his ability to, you know, maneuver the pocket or God forbid scramble, like, okay, that's, that's really easy. Um, so I think this could be a very painful game. Arkansas, their offense is completely predicated on the ground game. It's what they do on first down. It's what they do on second down. It's what they do on third down. If it's first and two, they run it. If it's first and 22, they pass it. Like, they, they, this, this is all they do. And, and so Missouri's defense is very good at stopping the run in the past couple of games. But like, this is, it's almost like playing a triple option team. And then at some point, KJ Jefferson pulls up, keeps it, and hits a bomb to Traylon Burks. And you're like, oh, God. And there they go. Um, they move super fast. Missouri's not super deep on their defense right now. They only trust about 12 or 13 guys. So, like, it, this could very easily be a situation where they're just running up and down and up and down. They're totally gassed, and Arkansas pulls away. And that's going to be very frustrating to watch. Can we go through Missouri's true road games over the last few years together oh boy yeah let's do that that'll be fun so uh this year at georgia lost by 37 i'm not counting Van- vanderbilt that team doesn't count oh <laughs> you did win that game at boston college lost in overtime at kentucky lost by seven on the road earlier this year going to last season at tennessee lost 35 to 12 at florida lost 41 to 17 at South Carolina, okay, credit where it's due. You did win 17-10 to 10 on the road last year at Mississippi State, a game that I honestly just assumed didn't happen at this point hmm. in time. They lost 51-32 yeah. to 32 with, I think, half of the team out in that one, yeah. uh, more yeah. or less. The last time that you had a game like this that you went on the road and won was against Arkansas uh, in 2019. You did win that hmm. one. Uh, but the rest of that year, you lost every other road game that you had. So for the last three seasons now, this team's been brutal in road games, just absolutely brutal. And that's part of my equation here. I'm not saying Faroe is like this ferocious, no pun intended there, huh. home field advantage, but it it's better than going on the road for this team. If this was at home, I would give Mizzou a much better shot. Going on the road against an Arkansas team on Friday, Black Friday, I just, man, it's hard for me to believe they're going to be able to overcome all of the deficiencies that they have talent-wise, plus being on the road in this one. And Arkansas fans are in on this team, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's not a place you want to go to. Um, it's not in War Memorial, which they've done a couple times for Mizzou, and that's that's not a stadium that's on campus. It requires people to travel. And I think 
because they kept losing to Mizzou in War Memorial. They stopped. <laughs> they stopped that. Um, so I'm pretty sure it's going to be in Fayetteville kind of going forward. Um, also, Eli Drinkwitz has never won a game that kicked off at 2.30 Central. Just throwing that out there. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not saying don't watch it. Like, this is this is one of your last two games that you can watch this team, for better or for worse. Um, Might be the last time to watch Tyler Beatty. Could be. Yeah. I can't imagine he'd want to play in the bowl game. I'm not going to say no if he wants to, but, like, yeah, you could watch him the last time. Um and rivalry games, you know, throw the record books out, man. Like, throw everything out. People sometimes get amped up for this stuff. And and I don't, I mean, however much Mizzou thinks this is a rivalry, you'll have to ask them. But, you know. Um, I was about to say, Eli Mizzou Drinkwitz, already played its rivalry game. <laughs> yeah, and we won it. So, like, Eli Drinkwitz certainly thinks it's a rivalry. And he's from Arkansas. He went to Arkansas Tech. So, like, I'm sure it matters to him. But, like, I don't know. We got Missouri's bowl eligible. That's not being taken away from anybody. This is a road game against a tough opponent that wants to beat you really, really bad. Like you're limited on offense. Your defense is is thin and they like to go fast. Like there's just a lot of things against Mizzou in this matchup, but you know what? Watch it anyway. Cause sometimes weird stuff happens and, and you can win it and that'd be cool. But like, I'm just saying, you know, probably not this time. Yeah. That, that's kind of where I'm at. And it, it, that's, that's also where I'm at it. I'm, I'm fine with that. I, we, uh, so we were part of the pregame, and by the time people are listening to this, it, it'll it either be up or be close to being up. So one of the questions they asked us was basically like, hey, how do you evaluate this season where, where we're at right now? And part of my answer was essentially like, I, I wonder how people are going to answer that question for, for just the casual fan, right? We have our answers, of course, but the casual Mizzou fan, how do they answer that? Because I think there's two ways to look at it. On one hand, you started the year and it looked so bleak and you were two mm-hmm. and three coming off of the worst home loss that you've had in so long, maybe ever. And it was like, man, all, all of the wind was just completely out of the sails. And so to get to six and five with a game remaining and potentially still being able to get to that seven win threshold we talked so much about during the uh, preseason, I, I don't know how anybody could say that's not a success. At the same time, especially if they find a way to win on Friday. I do wonder if there's going to be a lot of fans that say to themselves afterwards, and if they just could have found a way to avoid that awful interception against Boston college, if they find Mm -hmm. a way to come up with like two more plays against Kentucky, this team legit could have been nine and three and in second place in the sec East in a year that I mean, if you would have told me that before the season, that it was like actually real that they could do that, I would have said you're insane. Like everything must have gone Missouri's way. And let's be honest, everything didn't go Missouri's way this year. So I, I'm i very curious to find out kind of how Mizzou fans will evaluate this situation. I'm sure Saturday will, or Friday rather, will have a lot to do with that final evaluation, whether they're six and six or seven and five at the end of the season. But where do you stand on that right now before we watch this game on Friday? I mean, you got to give Drinkwitz and his staff credit for keeping this team together, keeping them bought in. It was a tough schedule, man. Like, I don't know if we talk about this all that much, but like, as of now, it's the 14th toughest schedule and it probably going to end up being like the 35th, kind of depending on how games shake out and stuff like that. But like, it's been tough and this is a rebuilding team. 
And so it's really easy for young rebuilding teams to just go, oh, we've got some tough losses, see ya, and just, you know, pack it in for, for the year. So he does get credit for me for, like, getting them to, to bowl eligibility. Because, yeah, like you said, there was, there was no way in hell after the Tennessee game. I don't think anybody thought that was going to be a, a possibility. No. Um, but do you remember the 2011 season very well? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, 2011, Missouri goes 8-5, and five, and every single loss was, like, one possession. And against good teams, too. Like Kansas State and Baylor, that was Robert Griffin's schedule was brutal. It was so tough. Arizona State on the road, uh, lost in overtime. Like that was a tough schedule, and like those were the, those were the the baby tigers that turned out to be the back to back SEC East champions. But like you could see that it was good. They're just young and like oh this mistake here, like this fumble there. I'll never forget that call. Arizona State game. That that was Dude, really fun. It was so much fun. Um. And so, like, you look back on it, and there's a lot of what ifs. And like for me, I was like, well, that's that's really good because you took a young team, I mean, established staff, but you took a young team, and you got really close, and like, yeah, a couple bounces here or there, and like, it could have been a lot awesomer. And 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 so, like, I I look on that season fondly because of what happened two three years later. Sure, but it was also just fun to go through that season because there was they were really really close. Missouri has had two close losses so far. And just gotten their brakes beat off them in all their other losses. And very could well happen, you know, this week. So, like, I don't think it's going to be a similar uh, happy memory for people. Certainly not for me. But, like, this season, like, any season in a vacuum is going to be what it is. And, like, oh, they sucked or all oh, they're good or, you know, oh, there's some, some promise there. But I feel like every season is is a microcosm of, like, the the five-year arc. And so this is going to be, one like, chapter two of a five chapter book. And like, if this just set up the major players or like kind of created the storylines for like success, then I think people will look back on this and go, yeah, they were close. Yeah. They got blown out by good teams, but like you could see what was happening. You could see it coming together. If two or three years from now, we're still scuffling at six, seven, eight wins. And people, people will be like, well, that was just kind of, you know, you get a couple scalps and you, you lose some big ones. And that's just, that's what Drinkwitz does, because you know how these narratives go. Yeah. So, like, for now, I think they did a great job of, of rallying the guys and bringing them back in and getting bowl eligible. That was going to be very tough. But re the real answer is going to be three or four years from now, that's when you're really going to figure out, okay, how did we feel about this season? For sure. No, that that's fair. This is going to be one of those things where it's e a lot easier to do with the hindsight of three or four years from now, what it, what it, what we ended up thinking about that season. Um. But I, I do think they deserve a lot of credit, as you said, for being able to to right the ship, even despite deficiencies at the quarterback position and injuries at the quarterback position, of course, that you have to take into account as well. And just a defense that I, I think the progress that we've seen from week one, I think the the sequencing is really important for me. That's part of this. Like if it was the opposite of what we're watching, if you saw in the beginning portion of the season, what we've seen the last four weeks and you saw now what we saw the first four or five weeks, I think we would all be like losing our minds as to what went wrong. How did it happen this way? How did they go from being a good defense to being one of the worst? But the sequencing of going from awful, horrendous, her uh, historically bad, especially against the run to oh, they're kind of respectable and maybe even kind of good. Like 
I think that's a big part of the story of this year as well, is being able to overcome all of those early issues and then finding a way to battle through them, find your best personnel, watch those guys get better as the season went along, and now give yourself a chance against a top 25 opponent on the road at the end of the season uh, to maybe get to 7-5. and five. It's pretty cool. It's a cool season. And this is, by the way, part of why I love college sports. It's a 6-6, six and 7-5 six, and five type of season. And there's like legit reason to celebrate it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's only acceptable in college sports. Whereas in professional sports, if you go right around 500, it's pretty rare that that ends up getting celebrated. Yeah. I still don't understand what the defense did in that bye week. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's it's not. I mean, yes, linebackers were out of position. I'm not saying they weren't. But like on the defensive line, it's not that they're missing their gaps. It's that they weren't, they weren't present in the gap. They were eliminated by... <laughs> every offensive line they went up against. And then all of a sudden they're not. And yes, it was against Vanderbilt, but also Georgia and Florida. And I'm just like, what? I don't feel like watching tape stops you from getting demolished at the point of attack. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I also don't super care. I'm just more curious. Cause like, I just want the result obviously, but I'd love to be on a fly on the wall this season. Just kind of be like, okay, what were you guys doing? What, what were we thinking here? I just, it blows my mind. How did it go from me, my freshman year of college, whenever I would go out to me, where I am today, where I can actually handle my liquor. Like how, how <laughs> but how did that happen in eight weeks for me? It happened over a decade for yeah. them. It happened in like three weeks where it was like, you went from being the worst and just an absolute nightmare to, Oh, they're doing pretty well now. I don't understand. doesn't make sense. I, I don't either. I'd love to get the, uh, behind the scenes story on that at some point. I don't know if we ever will, but, uh, they have done so well, by the way. Again, you got to realize that at one point they were 124th in rushing success rate on defense. And in four games, that was enough to take eight games worth of data and take it from 124th to 105th. That's mm. that's huge, by the way. That is huge. Um, so, like, no, it's still not great, but it's counting every aspect of it. Now, again, Arkansas can run all over them and put it right back or whatever, but, like, it's just it's been an incredible turnaround. And, you know, I, I blame... Steve Wilkes, because he was responsible for it, but I also give him credit for, you know, finding a way to turn it around. And maybe Jethro, I almost said Jethro Toll, uh, Jethro Franklin was just really not that great of a communicator, didn't understand the system, whatever. Like, maybe that was the case, but do you think Al Davis gets the job, the interim D-line coach? Um, I think so. I mean, at this point, why not, right? Yeah. I, yeah. I think the whole, I, barring somebody getting another job elsewhere that they prefer, I think basically the whole staff probably comes back next year. Probably. Yeah. He'll be cheap. You know, he's, he was at Illinois for a little bit. He's an analyst now. So like, I mean, might as well don't, don't mess with it. Um, so he's already on the road recruiting <laughs> our two star Juco defensive lineman, but you know, whatever. Um, it's Thanksgiving. We're gonna get out of here. Uh, BK, what is, before you leave, what is the quintessential Thanksgiving dish that you cannot do without? Uh, that's a good question. So I would probably say for me, when I was growing up, my mom had a great recipe for a homemade cranberry sauce. No, not the one that comes mm. out of the can. That's gross. Yeah. Uh, but the <laughs> a homemade cranberry sauce, it had like Grand Marnier, uh, Ooh, some geez. 
like crumbled up walnuts. It was really good. So that is like for me, one that I would always have to have. But in general, I love a good green bean casserole. So for Thanksgiving, if I'm going to have one one side on my plate and it's a good one, I'm going to go with a good green bean casserole. What is it for you? My mom's stuffing, not stuffing in general, not, you know, my mom's stuffing because it's great. I I don't know how she makes it, but it's delicious. I guess dressing stuffing is what you put in the turkey dressing is what goes on the side. So that's right. Um, But uh, yeah, that's kind of the one I can't do without. But like, I don't know. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. the only time you can have it. You never eat dressing slash uh, stuffing any other time of the year other than on Thanksgiving. Yeah. That's why this is the best holiday in the world because you don't have to do anything. You got to show up. You got to eat. You got to watch some football. You got to take a nap. The end. That's it. And do it around family and call it a day and wake up the (sighs) next day and watch some Mizzou football. Whew. Yeah. Papa Tums. It could be a long one, but we'll still support him regardless. Uh, BK, last thoughts. Go get a win, Mizzou. I'm not yeah. I'm not optimistic about it, but go get a win. <laughs> That'd be a hell of a way to finish this season. Absolutely. Also could get you into a pretty good bowl game. If you win this game, you suddenly are in play for like some actually fun possibilities. Losing this game. Birmingham. Yeah, losing this game, you're probably looking at like a Birmingham type of a bowl. Winning it, yeah. may, maybe you get to go to like Memphis or something like that. That'd be cool. That would be cool. But yeah, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you guys. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Matt Nietzsche Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, I'm Z. Z-O-U.